Anyone who takes the spiritual growth and nurture of children and teens seriously can't help but lament all the data that points to the reality of so many young people coming of age and walking away from Christ and His church. But our lament is for naught if we don't take steps to reverse this troubling trend. Today, we chat with our friend Tony Souter about some specific ways we can build the long-lasting faith of kids through fostering intergenerational relationships and facilitating intergenerational ministry opportunities, all on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, one of our great concerns here at CPYU over the years, in fact, it's something that's driven us to actually exist. We started for this reason was that as the culture is changing, and we are starting to see what is called, we would call a, a, a cultural generational gap, right? So back in the 1960s, there was this generational gap where ideologically the younger generation was fighting with the older generation. Nobody really wanted to come together. And we began to see after that a gap that started to grow because of the, the rapid rate of change in our culture. And as a result, we had parents coming to us saying, hey, I don't understand my kids. Can you help me understand my kids? What do we have to do to reach them? In, a, in essence, you know, parents were saying, help me be a cross-cultural missionary. In, in the, the unfolding of that in the church, I think one of the things that's happened over the years that we need to be aware of is that all with good intentions, but I think with bad, bad results, and I think based on some shoddy theology, we have divided the generations in an effort to keep younger people in the church. We've maybe catered things to them or shifted things towards them to the point where we've nurtured them into an understanding that, you know, the big church stuff is not for you. And older people being nurtured into the fact that we're going to let our kids be nurtured by those who are hired to work with our students, and big church is not for them. And it, and I think what we've done is we've divided the body of Christ. And so this is something that's really I don't know, it's been front and center for us for years here at CPYU and something we've wanted to address and speak back to and even start to undo. And that's why I'm excited about the conversation today we get to have with my friend Tony Souter. Tony, thank you for, for joining us. It's good to have you here. Uh, it's always good to be with you, Walt. I'm glad to, to be a part of this today. So Tony is one who, like us, has been around in the youth ministry world for, for a bit of time. Uh, it doesn't seem like that long to us, does it, Tony? Like when we get started, you know, like for us, 32 years ago, I tell my wife, it's like we blinked and we opened our eyes and here we are. But how long have you been involved in youth ministry? Uh, I'm just going to say 30 plus years. I'm just going to go with the 30 plus. That way I don't, you know, I can stay right there for a long time. Anything above 30 is, is plus. So Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, it's 30 plus years. Yeah, so so you've been around and you've seen this shift, and and part of what you're doing now really is, I think, uh, efforts to answer this and rekindle a deep, deep sense of with theological integrity of what it means to be the church, and to have older folks connected with younger folks, and vice versa. 
Can you tell us just a little bit about what you're you're doing, a little bit of your your history and where you're at now in terms of yeah. what you folks are doing there with your organization? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our our ministry is called 100 Years. Uh, it's a family of ministries helping every generation reach the next generation. Uh, there's two ministries in the family. Uh, the first is called the Youth Leader Collective, which comes alongside of anybody doing youth ministry, paid, volunteer, bivocational, uh, really trying to help them to be able to serve the young people that, that God's called them to and the families that God's called them to in their churches uh, better. Uh, I've been doing that for that part of our ministry has been going on since uh, 1994, 28 years. Wow. And so, uh, be 29 years next this coming April. So uh, that's that's kind of the the cornerstone of what we've been about for a long time now. But in 2014, uh, after looking at the research that shows just the the significant exodus of young people leaving the church and their faith, um, uh, we also saw this this little nugget of information that was in the the research over and over again that showed that. Young people that tend to stay connected to the church and flourish in their faith tend to be marked by having multiple adult believers investing in their lives. And that's that's multiple adult believers outside of what's happening in the youth ministry. And so, so we looked at that and we said, you know, if that's true, how can we get more adults connect with more young people more naturally than ever before? Because um, it's not like that's a new question. We've always wanted more adults connecting with more young people, uh, but it's tends to be an uphill uphill climb for most adults. And so because so we started asking, how can we get more of these these kind of relationships more naturally um, across the board? And so in 2014, we launched an, an effort to try to address that uh, called the Pray For Me campaign. And the Pray For Me campaign is just a simple way of creating those kind of relationships. We equip uh, families and we equip students to invite three adults from three different generations to be what we call their prayer champions for a year. Um, and each year they get new prayer champions, giving them a wider and wider base of relationships across generational lines um, rooted in prayer. And so there's this whole supernatural piece to it with God uh, being called on to in, kind of interact and invade and, and bless and encourage uh, the young people that are being prayed for. But then there's the, the whole relational component that these young people know that they've got these adults of, uh, from different generations that are, are on their team. And, and that is changing the ethos of churches around the country uh, since we started this in 2014. Mm. So that kind of gives you a flavor of it. But Yeah, and I'll tell you, one of the things I like about it, every time I hear you talk about this and being familiar with the Pray For Me campaign, it, it's sort of uh, the opposite of what you'd expect, right? Normally, if someone would launch a campaign like that, you would be saying to the adults, approach a teenager and ask a teenager, right, if I can pray for you. It's the exact opposite is what you're doing, correct? You're actually having the teenagers reach out to the adults and say, pray for me, which just talk about that a little bit because it's a, it's a dynamic that might be counterintuitive to most people, but it just makes complete sense. Well, it is counterintuitive, but it, we're not we're not just shifting the the weight. See, the the challenge is we know that adults care about young people; they just don't know how to get there most of the time. 
And so young people love to be cared for by adults, but they don't know how to get there. And so the Pray For Me campaign is trying to bridge that gap in a natural and, and winsome way. But um, so when we say that we equip families and students to invite three adults from different generations to be their prayer champions, we're not just shifting all the weight onto a young person because the fact is that young person doesn't know the adults. They don't know who they, they are trustworthy and who can they invite. So we, we really set the stage where um, a church says, hey, we're launching the Pray For Me campaign. We want every one of our young people to have these, these vital relationships with three different adults from different generations um, rooted in prayer. If you're willing to be a prayer champion, sign up in your Sunday school, sign up in your bolts and sign up wherever you sign up. And so you're creating a pool of adults that are, that are, are yeses. It's like a stocked pond, so to speak. And so you, so when we first started this, you'd have the, your launch event. And in that launch event, um, there would be the, the adults would be there. The students would be there. You divide the adults into three different groups and the students would go and invite one adult from each one of those groups they would get their picture taken together, and then one of those adults, at least one, would pray for that student that day. And so, so you're not you're trying to make it easy for everybody. You, you realize the barriers. That's part of being involved with youth ministry for 30 plus years. You realize what the barriers are, and you're trying to eliminate those barriers so that it makes it easy to have these kind of relationships because we know that they want them. They just don't know how to get them. Yeah. And, and so. Uh, but but one of the things that's happened more in the last several years is that there's probably been more churches that are actually uh, going ahead ahead of time and and creating those relationships, creating those connections. So they might assign three adults from different generations to a student. So when you have the launch event, they're really going there to meet that student, to get to know that student. They still get their picture taken. They still get, you know pray with that student, but you've eliminated the piece that creates a number of people, number of angst, uh, excuse me, a, 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 some angst for some people because they don't want to be the last one picked as an adult. <laughs> it sends them back to middle school kickball. That's exactly what I was thinking. The whole time you're saying and, this, I'm imagining myself and, against the wall going, oh, gee whiz, why am I last again? And and so you're eliminating that, That's a, and that's a positive thing, and you're eliminating some of the, the trepidation for a young person to walk up to still somebody they don't know and how do you know this is a good person? I don't know it's a good person. You, all this pressure, I want to get a good one. And you know, so you just you just assign and they get them and they realize, okay, these people are for me. And then when they're walking through the hall, they they see them and they, it's a natural way to have a conversation because they know that, like for instance, if I'm, I'm your prayer champion, Walt, that when you're walking th through the hall, it's it'd be more unnatural for me to not talk to you than to talk to you because you already know that I'm on your team. And so... Uh, that's what we're trying to create. We're, um, and God's done some really, really fun things across the board with, uh, with these kind of relationships. I, you know, I'm loving this. And, and, you know, part of what I'm thinking here is, okay, you've seen a need, you've addressed it. Tony, you and I have sort of a long view on youth ministry, right? Um, we've been around long enough to know that things are not the way they're supposed to be maybe in, in our practices, right? And, and, I think many times younger youth workers, when you enter into the world of youth ministry, whatever is, you assume, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. And I think for many, just this generational segmentation seems to be a given that is accepted. And they don't understand the need to overcome this as you've created this bridge right now 
you know, a methodology, a tool, a, a I hate to use the word program, but it really is. It's a it, it's it's a great way to uh, to do this to build these relationships. What has been a lot of the, you know, in the wake of this, you know, what have you seen as it's been going now for, I guess, eight years, right? Because you said twenty fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Can you share a little bit of the wake the wake in the wake of this? Some of what's been happening at some churches. Yeah. The the, I mean, I, I I'll give you my. One of my personal experiences is I started uh, praying for uh, an eight, a sixth grader um, named Andrew, and this has been three years ago. And and Andrew, when I first started being his prayer champion, now we didn't really connect at hardly at all at church. So there was I didn't really see him, but then we we launched. I became one of his prayer champions, and almost immediately I'm seeing Andrew every week. All of a sudden, he's there. I'm thinking, where did? The, well, how come I never saw you before? Is this just some, you know, my reticular activating system kicking in, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm thinking about Andrew, and there he is. No, but what happened is that he knew he was looking for me, and so every week, all of a sudden, he's there doing his sixth grader stuff, not really looking me in the eye, kind of bumping into me, and then swirling away. And um, and but now he's a he's a ninth, and now and actually he's just went into tenth grade, uh, so it was really four years ago, but. The um, but went and saw him last time on his birthday. Took him some cheeses. We have this little battle that he likes cheddar jack cheeses. I like pepper jack, and so I took him some cheddar jack cheeses. And this simple thing that now this kid that would barely look me in the eye when he's in sixth grade is leaning in to give me a hug and thanking me for you know wishing him a happy birthday. So that's a, there's a relational thing that has that cemented us, but it started just because he knew that I was on his team praying, asking God for good things in his life, and his parents actually have have invited me in to further because there was another an issue along the way with his brother that they invited me in to pray for that too. So there's this this knitting together of relationships, not just with me and the student, but also with the family itself. And so, and I think, and that's happening across the board, but, um, one of the, another, in another church, it just so happens to be here in Chattanooga that there's a, a gentleman that, uh, was, I was, I was hanging out with him cause I wanted to, I was kind of implementing this whole walk with the wise kind of thing. I wanted to sit with him cause he's, he was 70 plus years old and, and, um, but he's does some global stuff around the, around the world and with development and, helping people be generous and that kind of thing. And I just wanted to sit down and kind of pick his brain. And as I'm sitting with him, he's telling me all those things. We got done with the walking, with the wise stuff. We're getting ready to leave. Um, and he turns to me and says, oh, by the way, um, we're in our fourth year, uh, no, fifth year of doing Pray For Me. And I still pray for the other four students that have asked me to be their prayer champion. But this year, my guy's Isaac. And um, I'm praying for for Isaac and I see him at church every week and I ask him how he's doing and how I can pray for him. And, and then the other, the other week he turned to me and he said, uh, well, Mr. Allen, how can I pray for you? And, and in the process, Mr. Allen pauses as he's telling me the story and he looks at me and says, I told him about my cancer. And, and then not too long after that, Isaac's mom came up to Mr. Allen and said, you need to know that Isaac will not let us get through prayers at dinner without making sure we pray for you. And, um, 
then he then he gets excited more more excited he pulls out his phone shows me a video of somebody videoing him because when he, he was going through radiation at the time and when he got finished with radiation they have the ringing the bell ceremony and at the end of that time they were at the, this was a video at the ringing of the bell ceremony there's probably 40 of his friends there with bells but somebody's videoing him and he calls isaac isaac's at the ringing of the bell ceremony he calls him to the front and he tells the people he goes you know at our church we do this thing called the pray for me campaign and this this year my students uh that i'm praying for is isaac where and but it's not just me praying for isaac isaac's been praying for me and and it was just a reminder once again that that God is doing something through this and creating relationships that He wants to. He's so much more concerned about intergenerational relationships than I ever could imagine I could be, because God knows the value of the body of Christ, and He's trying. He wants the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. And if there's not some way, whether it's the pray for me campaign or something else, if there's not some way of naturally bridging this, the gap between generations that then, then the way our society is now, it's just hard to have those, those, the relationships that we all need. It's not just a benefit for the student. It's not just a benefit for the adult. It's a benefit for the whole body of Christ. So, yeah, I, I, you know, that's a great story. I mean, I'm just sitting here going, that is amazing. And how many of those have you, you know, you've not heard, right? Where, where these things are right. happening, but you, you heard that one. And that's a, that's just a beautiful story just about how, you know, walls are broken down. I, and, and I, as you're telling it, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, so many adults think, and we can buy this lie, right? Even in youth ministry, eh, our students, they want to be with each other. That would be a hassle for them. You know, it's awkward. It's a hassle. They don't want to be with the older people. Well, maybe it is awkward. Maybe it does seem like a hassle, but we've been made for that. Our students have been made for that. And I think taking the time to to tear down the, you know, the, the, the false understanding, to tear it down by giving an experience where they can realize they have been made for that and live into that and see and experience the beauty of that. The fact that we as youth workers can do that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and I mean, there's multiple reasons why what you're doing with Pray For Me is so important and why churches should do this and youth workers should tap into this. That's just one, right? Uh, you, you mentioned right. something there as you were speaking, and I wrote it down just, just briefly. You said, the way our society is now. And I think that much of what you're doing with the Pray For Me campaign is really pushing back on that. I know we need to take a break here, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the way our society is now, how you see that from your vantage point. Uh, I'll share a couple of things I've been reading recently that have been not eye-opening, but, you know, just going, oh yeah, people saw this coming, right? And this is another reason why we need to push back. It's not just that scripture says we need to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is diverse, right? Uh, geographically, uh, demographically, and of course, by age as well. And so uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the ways that society's pushing on this and creating a situation where the generations are, are segmented further and further. And then how your campaign, the Pray For Me campaign, the other work you're doing down there can, can push back on this. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
Hey there, Youth Culture Matters listeners. We've been told that one of our best-kept secrets here at CPYU is our one-minute daily podcast, Youth Culture Today. Each and every weekday, we release a new episode that's timely, practical, and hope-filled, all for an audience of parents, youth workers, and anyone else who cares about kids. Here's a sample from one of our recent Youth Culture Today episodes. Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. It has been said that it takes a village to raise a child. In our home, the village has included a variety of people, including those who attend our church, neighbors, coaches, youth workers, grandparents, and teachers. Our village has also included godly friends who have been present in our kids' lives. Their presence has created relationships that have afforded them great opportunities to speak truth into our kids' lives. Sometimes our kids have gone to those people to confide in them or seek advice in times of difficulty. At other times, the relationships have been strong enough for those adult friends to approach our kids to say the difficult things that need to be said. Sometimes it takes another voice to speak before these things are heard. Build those friendships and you can bet you'll be celebrating their positive and godly influence on your kids more than once. And if your child clams up and won't talk to you, ask him to talk to one of these other adults he knows and trusts. For more on youth culture, visit us on the web at cpyu.org. Youth workers, do your parents a favor and get them to subscribe to Youth Culture Today wherever they get their podcasts. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at the CPYU studios chatting with my friend Tony Souter. I want to mention... Just a reminder to everyone that's listening that you know we talk about a lot on Youth Culture Matters, and sometimes we'll throw names of organizations or research or books or whatever out there. And I want to let you know, if you go to our website, cpyu.org, and you look for the player for this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters and scroll down underneath the player, you'll find show notes that include links to everything that's mentioned, uh, every all the things that are mentioned here. So... Uh, we want to invite you to do that. We always say, you know, thanks to everyone who's listening. Give us a good rating, share it, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It's that standard, right, mantra we all say, whoever does a podcast, but that really does help. So uh, check out the show notes, and, and you'll be able to link to, to everything we're talking about here. Tony, during the break, you shared a little story in response to something we had said before we took this uh, the break, and, and I want to seg- I want to segue into that, I think, before we – talk a little bit about the way our society is pushing back. But I think what you shared was some of what is the result of the way our society is functioning and I think misinforming people, right? Uh, Tell us that story you shared with us during the break. Yeah, well, earlier in the other segment, you had mentioned something about how that youth ministry leaders, young youth ministry leaders can sometimes – not even intentionally, can walk into youth ministry and see it the way it is now and think that this is the way it's supposed to be. And um, and I had an experience earlier this summer when I was visiting Eastern North Carolina. I had an opportunity to uh, be with, an, with about 10 pastors, and we we're talking about the Pray For Me campaign and the value of bridging the gap between generations and how that brings life to the, the whole congregation and so forth. And, um, and there was one youth pastor there, a younger guy, and and as we were talking, um, one of the pastors says, well, turns to the youth pastor and said, well, what do you think? You're our, you're our youth ministry expert here. And he said, you know, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, throw any, it was, he was hesitant to talk. And he, but he, then he says, you know, I don't want to throw any water on the, the fire or anything or be a, a downer on this, but 
uh, step on any toes or anything. He says, but, but I don't see why it's needed. And, and, uh, cause and frankly, the, my students think old people are weird and internally, there's lots of stuff going on inside of me, but as we're talking, but, but when I went home and I told my daughter the story, who's 28 years old, she get, she didn't let me finish the story. She goes, that's exactly why it needs to happen. Because, because young people have a skewed understanding of, of who's walking around them in the church. And, and he needs to help them. He needs to help them understand that the people that they're walking through every Sunday, these sea of adults, are the people that really are on their side. And they, they have so much to, blessing to bring to them. Um, that he doesn't even understand that they have that much blessing to bring to them um, because his his frame of reference is skewed. And so fortunately, um, over the next 20 minutes of that conversation, I was able to bring him back around and help him to see that part of his skewed understanding of what the need is for intergenerational relationships is because he felt it all his life because he was a pastor's son. And, he, and I, I let him know that, wait a second, you, the fact that you were the pastor's son gave you elite status. Everybody in the church knew you and engaged with you as somebody special. And we want every young person in the church to feel that way. We don't want just the people that are known because of the pastor's son to feel that way. We want every kid in the church to sense that they're they're special and they're part of the body of Christ and that we can transform their experience with the church from being seeing it as an institution, which is easy to see something as an institution when, when you don't have a relationship with the people. But it's hard to, to see in that way when you have a relationship. And God wants us to have a relationship. And so therefore we're trying to trans the Pray for Me campaign in essence is trying to transform their relationship, a young person's relationship with the church. So they see it for what it really is, the family of God. Yeah. So yeah. A couple of things you said there, just a couple of responses. Uh, you know, one would be, and I know I said this earlier, a lot of times when youth, young youth workers come into youth ministry, you know, they, they kind of step onto the landscape and just assume this is the way it is and this that this is the way it is it's supposed to be. Uh, it's not just a young. I know that there's older as well. I mean, we've seen this and, you know, have worked hard to push, push back on that. And I think there's there's there are theological issues obviously we have to deal with there and and shift some of our practice so that would be one one response i know there's some older folks um that youth pastor in many ways was right yeah old people are weird at times right i get told that we all get told that as we get older in fact uh i sometimes look in the mirror and i'm going yeah i'm exhibit a old people are weird right as i turned 66 this <laughs> last year so you know i do think about that i mean it's just and and you know things change we we I mean, I'm a different person than I was uh, when I was 17 or 18 years old. And thank goodness for that, right? God, God's done a work, I hope. But that leads to something else you mentioned, and that is one of the great benefits of getting to know older people, especially in the body of Christ, is all of the miles that are in their rearview mirror have created just a sense of, of deep, deep wisdom and experience, a well, a deep well. Older people are these deep wells. They're not irrelevant uh, talk a little bit about that, because I think that's one area where, you know, when we divide up the body of Christ and we, you know, people arrive on the property or on the campus or at the building, and then we separate the generations, uh, we're we're cutting our our young our young students off from wisdom, right? 
Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And that one of the challenges is, is how do you how do you help them to see them as deep wells of goodness that they can drink from? And you know, the fact is that um, our whole society tends to lend itself to individualism rather than seeing that I can I can benefit from the people around me. And so so part of being able to uh, help a young person take advantage of and see uh, adults as as a benefit to them is really giving the, giving them ideas and questions to ask um, because questions are the I think the gateway to being able to drink from someone's well in a in a powerful way and so if we can help a young person uh, even youth pastors uh, youth workers to be able to know how to begin to tap into those adults that are around them that are older that they could they could ask questions so that they can uh drink from their well so that then they understand hey wait a second this person that i'm walking by um every day uh every sunday is has all this to offer and how can i get that in the presence of the young people that i serve Mm -hmm. and so so some of it's just asking the right questions and helping youth pastors and youth workers to ask the right questions, but then training young people to ask the right questions. Um, one of my favorite questions, I don't know if this is the right time to bring no, to this, would be great. this question. Yeah, go ahead. This, one of my favorite questions of all time. Um, and you obviously have to figure out the right time to ask it. But um, if I'm sitting down with anybody for any length of time, I'm going to ask this question, and it is, you know, what are the three to five? Now, this caveat is I can ask this question with people that know Christ and people that don't know Christ, um, and I just change a few words. But um, but let's say I'm talking to a believer in the church. I'm, I've known this person. I, I get a chance that where it's not rushed, and I can ask them this question because I want them to think about it. Um, but I also know that they may not be able to answer it right then, and that I can circle back around to them. So here's my question. What are the three to five events that God has used to shape who you are the most today? Mm. What are the three to five events God has used to shape who you are today the most? That's uh, I've rearranged the words a little bit there, but um, the beauty of that is that all of a sudden we go from, hey, the weather's great here in Chattanooga and the fall colors are awesome to I'm all of a sudden all all of a sudden getting some great goodness from this person, things that that I would have never known if I had just not asked that question. And and it's the things that he sees or he or she sees as important life shapers for them. And then all of a sudden I got a I have a, a different view of that person from that point on. And we have a different relationship. So when I walk up to him, I can refer to that point. I can engage with him on multiple levels that I wouldn't have been able to without that question. Um, but but it, that same question can be used with somebody that doesn't know Christ, just leave out the God part. Yeah. You know, they're all, we're all shaped by stuff. Um, I, my lens is, is that God's used the stuff in my life and God's the shaper of, of where I've come to. And, and so um, that question in itself is a question that you can ask young people. Uh, because it, it lets them know that God is at work and, and w- helps them to give a lens that where has God been at work in my life? Um, but it helps them think differently as well. So 
Yeah, I was thinking about, as you said that, you know, God's providence. I mean, teaching students about God's providence, that is just a a major doctrine we need to communicate. We put a little thing together, we'll include a link to it, uh, that we wrote about the doctrine in response to what was happening with the pandemic. What a great opportunity to talk about God's providence. Then, of course, we shifted to the war in the Ukraine. Uh, you know, we edited it to to make it applicable to that. I mean, e- even individual circumstances, things like that, we need to understand providence. And one of the things about providence is, I think it was John Flavel, the old, you know, old uh, writer John Flavel said something to the effect, yeah. I'll botch it here. Do you know this uh, about providence? It's like understanding God's providence is like reading Hebrew, right? You got to look at it backwards. And so it's yeah, only I mean, over the whole book. So. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the whole over the course of your life. And I'm thinking as you're talking about this, here's just a practical way to make old people not be weird anymore, right? To the kids in your youth group is yeah. once a month, bring an older person from your church in, you know, a saint and, you know, someone with wisdom that's come from a lot of experience, a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering, but who is, you know, eagerly working to walk with and serve Christ, follow Christ, bring them in and, and ask just that question you asked right there. I mean, that's, there's your whole youth group meeting there. And I can see kids just sitting there enraptured, you know, like one of the ways we do this in our culture is, uh, you know, we're reading a lot now about, you know, how many veterans of World War II were left living, right? Um, right. I've, I've lived long enough now to know that it's veterans of World War II. I think I remember when I was first young, it was like veterans of the Civil War and then First World War. And, you know, there's none of those living, I guess, anymore. But uh, veterans of World War II, what do we do? We sit with them. You hear these stories all the time. Somebody has a project where they sit with a grandfather or they sit with uh, you know, university students doing something on history, and they sit with a veteran with a recorder, and they just ask questions. Tell me about your experiences. I want to learn from you. I want to, I want to have these experiences etched in uh, in permanence before you're gone from this world. And it just seems to me this would be a great way to, uh, you know, to make that to make that happen. I, I want to let me shift gears here because I, I told you before we started to record. You know, we talk a lot about books here, and I know you read a lot, and you talked about some of the research, and I carried some books in here with me. And one of the books that I brought in that I'm reading right now, it's actually a reread, and it's a reread from after almost 50 years, which now that makes me sound old, right? But so I arrive on the campus of Geneva College in the fall of 1974. I'm a sociology major. Um, you may actually, since you're in Chattanooga, you may, you may have known my sociology professor, Doc Hedendorf, Russell Hedendorf, who wound up down at Covenant uh, teaching sociology there before he passed away. But, um, you know, he was passionate about teaching us, you know, what it means sociologically to be in but not of the world as Jesus prayed that. So one of the first texts that he had us read was uh, Alvin Toffler's book, Future Shock, and it was published in 1970. I was in Barnes & Noble last week, and in the contemporary issues you know, social issues section. I just scanned the racks to see what's there, what's new, and what's old popped up. There was one little paperback copy of this. I thought, man, I yeah, what did that guy get right? Because he was looking ahead, right? And I think this is what we need to do in youth ministry. We look at the landscape around us and we say, are we in the right place here? You know, where where do we come from? Where do we need to go? And sometimes I think as we look around, we have to have that sort of that futuristic sense that Toffler did 
But I want to read you a couple of things because I think this con- has contributed to exactly the need that you're trying to address that's not only in the church, bring the generations together, but everywhere in terms of uh, generational segmentation. So he's talking about, you know, he writes about future shock is really about the death of permanence and how living into the future in a super industrialized world that's coming, you know, everything's going to come apart for us. And he says, we need to focus on the twin forces of acceleration and transience. We must learn how they alter the texture of existence, hammering our lives and psyches into new and unfamiliar shapes. We must understand how and why they confront us for the first time with the explosive potential of future shock. So he's writing about these twin forces, acceleration and transience. And I'm thinking, okay, we've seen, we're, we've now been in this, right? I, like we've been, we've been tossed around by this for five decades since he wrote this. Things are accelerating, going faster and faster and faster. This is why our heads spin when we're older and we look at the rate of change in the world and in transience that we never stay in one place long. And he unpacks this through the book and talks about how this really undoes us. And one of the realities of acceleration is that it's resulted in transience where people are moving more frequently. They're getting involved with, um, you know, jobs and technologies and even kids, you know, because because mom and dad are shifting jobs or moving from here to there. And so that it, and it's it was it's fascinating to read and it's frightening to think, why haven't we thought about this more and addressed this? I mean, obviously, it's where we're at, but one of the outcomes of this is exactly what we're talking about here. Mm. It, we no lasting relationships. And so we've we've worked to adapt ourselves into just being, as you said, individualists. We know that's part of, you know, Carl Truman writes about expressive individualism. We know that's part of, you know, where we're at and who we are, and we think this is normal. But let's change this, right? I mean, let's let's change this. And I and I loved how one of the other books I brought in was, and we did a podcast on this numerous episodes ago, an, an interview with our buddy Mark Matlock, who were, he and Dave Kinneman at Barna wrote that book, Faith for Exiles, and where they said only, you know, 10% of our 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in the church, who were a part of our church, only 10% are still there as 18 to 29-year-olds now and functioning as what they would call resilient disciples. The other 90% to some extent have, have you know stepped out. Would some of that be due to a lack of intergenerational connections and the resulting spiritual growth that hasn't taken place? And so they identified, you know, five elements that were, you know, common in the lives of resilient disciples, the intergenerational connections in the church, were, were one of the five, and that's what I love about, you know, what you're doing. Have you thought much about that research that those guys did? I It's a book I highly recommend. Oh, I, I've thought a lot about that. I've read that book a number of times, and um, it, I, I jokingly say that there's five five key points, and the, the, the middle one is meaningful intergenerational relationships because I believe it's the center of making sure the other four – work because the other four um, don't work unless you have adults that are helping the young people sort out their worldview, becoming intimate with the, the, the Savior. The, right. uh, all, the other four are contingent on that. And that's why I believe that if that this is foundational, this is, a, this is really a non, non-negotiable. When I read that book, I realized that meaningful intergenerational relationships 
have to become a non-negotiable way of evaluating how we're doing in youth ministry in the church. Um, and then, I mean, we had already been doing the Pray For Me campaign for maybe half, five or six, five years, four or five years. That, that book came out in what, what year did it come out? 2019? Yeah, it's been out, uh, yeah, 2019. I'm looking at the front here. Yeah, so five years. And so uh, when we saw that, it just made us realize that, okay, that's the core piece. And if we can get, if we can help churches get that, then then that's the springboard or the at least the platform where those other things can happen um, more fully and more fruitfully. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, let me. I and and I, I'll tell you what, you've given me a new perspective on the book now because I think you're spot on with that. And just to remind people, or maybe tell people for the first time, if you're not familiar with the other four R, uh, you mentioned the first one, right? Developing intimacy with Jesus. So we're talking there about discipleship. You know, we're talking about worship. We're we're talking about you know spiritual formation, sanctification, the process of sanctification. The second one is developing the muscles of cultural discernment. And that's training, right? We do that. We okay. do that here, uh, boy. I, and let me just say that word discernment. I mean, we—that is—it's just so absent in the church right now. I mean, even mm. when I look at what some folks are writing about how to engage with culture, there is just such a lack of discernment, um, and discernment's needed, right? To 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 tell right from wrong. And, you know, as we often say, there's so much now when you talk about progressive theology or, quote unquote, progressive Christianity, um, it's it's, you know, partial truths or half truths that sound wonderful. And we often say here, you know, a half truth is far more dangerous than an outright lie. And so that's part Mm -hmm. of that. So we need to develop that discernment. Uh, Obviously, in the middle, you mentioned the intergenerational relationships, meaningful intergenerational relationships. And then. Number four was training for vocational discipleship. I, I won't even say anything about that. That's five podcasts right there, you know, what it means to help students understand vocation and calling in a world where we don't think about those things. And then lastly, engaging, well, curbing entitlement and self-centered tendencies by engaging in countercultural mission. And so I think you're, you're spot on there. This is, this is so good. We're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to pick Tony's brain a bit, and we're going to brainstorm on some very practical ways, uh, not only using the Pray For Me campaign and the other resources that Tony provides through his ministry there, but also, you know, are there some other practical steps that we can take and be constantly thinking about as we engage in youth ministry that will be used by God to slowly chip away at this generational segmentation and build Uh, the body of Christ through stronger intergenerational relationships. Stick with us. We'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org slash giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Youth Culture Matters. We're going to talk a little bit now with Tony, brainstorming a bit on what are some strategies we might enlist. It's not going to be exhaustive here at all. Uh, It'll be a flyover, but we're going to kind of go back and forth on some strategies and think out loud about 
how we can foster these intergenerational relationships and thereby strengthen the body of Christ and see young folks and old folks together really grow in their faith. I think one thing that we oftentimes forget is that these intergenerational relationships are a two-way street. And I typically, when I look at what old people can bring to younger people and what younger people can bring to older people, I see the older people bringing the gift of wisdom and experience, uh, you know, helping young people map their life out with some borders and boundaries that would be really helpful that come from uh, tough stuff they've gone through, maybe by choice or by circumstance, maybe even some bad decisions they've made. So there's the wisdom part from the older to the younger. From the younger to the older, I love just the idealism that young people bring to life and to remind old people that there is much in life to rejoice about, right? there's We can get excited about things and you know, the energy that comes from that. So uh, that's just one little one little benefit from it, you know, the, the intergenerational interactions. But uh, let's talk about some ideas. Tony, I'm going to start with you. And, you know, what are some practical things that youth workers can do? And, and I know that when we're talking to youth workers here, we may go, oh, they may go, ah, oh, that's a great idea, but I got to convince my whole church to do this. So let's keep that in <laughs> mind as well, because we may want to talk about how to do that. Um, and, right. and we, cause we understand, we understand here, this is not that easy and it takes time, right? It's a culture change. So go ahead, Tony. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I would want to, uh, that I try to keep in mind when I'm thinking about creating intergenerational relationships is that you're, where are the natural walking patterns or the natural rhythms of both the young people and the older people that you're trying to connect if you're trying to connect them that are in ways that are so much so far outside of their normal walking patterns, so to speak, or their natural rhythms of how they function, then you're probably going to be disappointed in the results. And so um, that's why even you know, just to segue just a moment here, when we do the Pray For Me campaign, we launch the Pray For Me campaign typically on whatever day or time the most young people are in that location. Um, because you're trying not, you're not, they're the, they're kind of the, the, the unknown factor. They, they, if they don't show up, then you don't have a launch. And so you, you try to have it at, during a time when it's natural for them to be there and you can, the adults will be there. And so you're trying to think the similar things when you're relating to uh, trying to create other opportunities. Um, and I, I tend to think, Hey, what are, what are my small victories? And so, uh, usually trying to connect, think in terms of uh, who do the young people already have relationships with and how do we capitalize on those? Like, say, for instance, their grandparents. If their grandparents happen to be living in town, how do we capitalize on creating opportunities for them to get together um, and then including other young people in those environments, um, whether it's... Uh, uh, and we were talking at break, and, and um, now I'm, I'm totally tainted by what we were talking about at break, you know, where they, you do things together in things that naturally fit into your things, whether it's a hiking or whether it's uh, board games or, or whatnot. Um, you're trying to find those things that they can do together. But I would, my, my principle, um, that's what I'm offering in this moment. I'm offering a principle of how to think about this that you want to you want to think of it in terms of doing it in their natural rhythms and how it was our, uh, an easy win for you and that in connecting 
people that are already naturally connected and but including some other people in that whether it's friends of the grandparents that are involved in that or friends of the students that are involved in that and connecting them mm. so that's 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 my opening input yeah uh, let me give one that to me is extremely obvious that I think a lot of people have missed and there there are theological realities we have to deal with here as well and again I'll I'll start by saying it's well intentioned it start it began as something well intentioned but I think it's kind of gone kaplooey uh, and not function as it should because I think it's contributed to a lot of the negative statistics we've talked about and others we haven't even mentioned here, and that is intergenerational worship. I think many times, in our, in, especially in our larger churches, I believe, we will have a family pull into the parking lot and, you know, because we have this assumption that kids can't be in worship, kids can't. They don't have the concentration, the ability to concentrate. They don't have the cognitive abilities to make sense of what's being preached. Um, we're going to send them off to the youth room. They'll have their own worship there or something. I mean, I, I even know of, of youth workers who that's when they have their youth group, right? Their annual or their weekly youth group meeting is on Sunday mornings or you know Saturday nights if worship is happening then, and the parents are in quote-unquote big church. And I, that just undermines the, the, the functioning, the larger functioning of the body of Christ. Kids are not nurtured. We're not treating them as adults. And, I, of course, some nurture can take place, you know, w- where they are. But they, everybody needs to be together because what happens is you graduate. The way that we have structured our youth worship, that's no longer going to continue. And we talk a lot about, you know, Thomas Bergler talks about the juvenilization of American Christianity well, I don't want to grow up. You know, I don't like this. This is not doing it for me. Uh, so I'm just not going to be there. And that's symptomatic of the fact that good nurture is not taking place and there aren't roots in the ground that make you desire to be there and continue to learn and to grow. So um, I, I think, too, we undershoot kids' cognitive abilities, and kids can be there. They can be trained to be there, and I think even from a young age. And I say this because I've seen this my entire life. I've seen it work. Yes, kids, you know, they'll get bored. My kids sat through church. They got bored. I mean, um, I'll just share this with you. Last night we got a text from our son. His wife is an athletic trainer, so it's football season. She was out, and he's getting dinner ready for the boys. And the text basically said, you know, when I was the age of my boys, I would have told you that my my parents' parenting techniques were just ridiculously off and stupid. And he goes, now I get it, right? And it was in reference to the demands that his boys were making, particular demands about the way he prepared their food, as opposed to, you know, when he was growing up, we'd say, you're going to eat what's put in front of you, right? Now I sound like an old guy when I say that. But, but you know, when he's saying now, I understand why that was good, why that was a good thing. At the time, I didn't. And I think it's the same with this. So, Tony, I just want to ask you, do you, do you think, in, in your opinion, do you think we, uh, by and large, expect kids to be cognitively far less apt, you know, or cognitively held back than they actually are? Like, do we shoot too low? Or are we dumbing things down? Well, I, th- I think in a lot of ways we do, for sure. And and, and we, we're experiencing um, unintended con- consequences of that and so that's even even like when you uh we're referencing a when a, a church and it's typically larger churches that'll that'll have that 
scenario where the, the youth department has their own worship service and the 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 big church has their own worship service and but there's unintended consequences that the sometimes you just can't get your fingers on you know that there's something not right here but but you realize that what's not right is that they have they don't have a sense of worshiping with the the whole body of Christ and what happens is that it's easy for them to look at that I I don't want to be a part of that I don't know those people over there there's a, there's a there's a relational disconnect as well as you know some other disconnects that are going on there so but uh, we also have that piece that that if if the driving force for us to create the um, the youth worship services rather than the big church worship services that are we re- if the driving force is that we want to be able to make sure that we say it in a way that's clear to those young people um that's that's uh, let's just if, if if it's trying to scale it down if we're trying to scale it down then i think we're we're shooting too low because these these kids deal with complex issues in school all the time they're they're not unable to deal with hard things and hard thoughts and complex thoughts and then the most complex person is god and it, so uh, but yet, but he's also, there's some pretty straightforward, beautiful, simple things that he offers and reveals about himself that we can embrace and know. And it doesn't have to just happen over here in, it doesn't just, it doesn't just happen over here in in youth worship. It, it happens in the, the main worship. And I think we're, I think we're, we're limiting and shortchanging um, the long-term effects of, for these young people, because when I look at the young people in our church, I'm looking at young people that that we want them to be the elders of our church. We want them to be the, the leaders of our church. We don't want them to just be passive uh, participants or attenders. I mean, that, that, you don't need very high bar for it to be a passive attender, but, but you need to, to be able to say, say, what do we really want from them 20 years from now or 30 years from now? I, I, the beauty of being my age is that and and being in the same place not being transient and being in the same place for 28 years is that being involved with the youth ministry of the church that i'm in and watching these young people and, and realizing now okay these 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 young people are married they have kids and it's just one of those light bulb moments the other day i was having is that it would be amazing if we were able to implant in young youth pastors, or youth pastors, period, but youth pastors, to remember that when they're looking into the eyes of this 10th grader that keeps bugging them off the charts, that in a few short years, they're going to be parents. <laughs> and they, and they're, going to be, they're going to be moms and dads. And if we could see them that way, we may treat them differently in that moment and in, in that time period. And I think that that's kind of blends into, you know, casting a vision that they're going to be adults in very short order. So, yeah, that's really good. Hey, another, another practical suggestion. We were talking here during the break and Chris mentioned it at his church. They, they, what did you do, Chris? Did you, I'm guessing from what you said, you, your youth pastor or the church, 
got it was an a church-wide effort. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tell us about that. Just got a general survey of like what kind of interests, hobby type things were people were interested in, and then each you know narrowed it down to a, a good handful and found people interested in leading groups that, uh, you know, uh, of, of groups that were related to those interests, and then invited intergenerational, intergenerational, um, basically people of all ages could sign up to be in those groups and it was based on interest. So yeah. but those groups, um, you know, in those interests, some of those Tony mentioned, you know, whether it be hiking or board games or sports or, um, whatever it happened to be, whatever those interests were. Um, and then people of all generations could sign up and, and do those activities together and meet regularly to do them. Yeah, so I would imagine, you know, like a trade or a skill, something like if a, if a, somebody's got an interest in, you know, and I, people have this, you know, an interest in like woodworking, all right? You've got some older guys that they have shops at their house. You get the kids over and the older guys are helping the kids. You've got some older folks who are trying to figure out how to turn on their computer. So you you have an interest group for them and the kids are instructing the parents. But Hey, this reminds me of a story. I'll just share this. I think this is great. So a buddy of mine, who's he was our youth pastor at the time, uh, his son had expressed an interest in trades. And I think his son uh, was about probably about 10 years old at the time. And an older guy in our church who was retired lived at a retirement area and had a shop in his, he was in a cottage, he had a shop in his garage. And so my buddy's son, who was 10, would go over there from time to time. And he was learning how to make things. The man was telling him how to use tools and just building this great relationship. And at one point, the man just kind of off the cuff said to him, you know, listen, if you ever get thirsty, I got a little refrigerator over there. I got sodas in there. You can go over and grab a soda. And um, so at one point, the guy's working on a tool and he looks over and the kid says, this soda tastes really funny. And uh, he had pulled a can of beer out. And, you know, just like, okay, now we got to work through this, right? But, um, you know, so you got, so if nothing else, it resulted in a great story. But, you know, that kid's grown up and he's now an electrician. He's involved in the trades and doing quite well. So, you know, you have those interests. Here's another idea I thought of, um, because I saw this happen at our church. As I mentioned, older folks, and as they get up there in age, and you think about some of the very unique experiences they've had, in their life, things that we just don't imagine when we pass them in the hallways, right? Like this person actually experienced this, or this person actually did this, or this person was actually in this place. If you can find out what those things are. And so we we actually have in our church, and I heard her speak, we have a woman who as a child was in a Nazi concentration camp and came out with her family uh, or came out not with all of her family, but came out as a young person and has grown up, come to faith, and talks quite openly about that experience. I mean, stuff like that is just, you know, it's just riveting. Or, you know, whatever experience someone is a surgeon who could come in and just talk about the miraculous nature of the human body. Um, you know, here are some stories, and of course, kids might like like some of the more gory stories, but just to, it can't break HIPAA. But, you know, just talk about, you know, here's what it means to them. So vocationally, you know, you get that kind of uh, instruction. Um, let me ask, is there anything else you can think of, Tony, that you, you would throw in? And if not, I just want another final word and encouragement to for folks to get involved with the Pray For Me campaign. Uh, well, one of the things that 
that comes to mind as we're, we're talking is that, uh, and this is kind of ties into the Pray For Me campaign, is usually what we're trying to do is we're trying to create relationship out of a vacuum. And so the, the one of the, the benefits and beauties of the Pray For Me campaign is once these young people are connected with their prayer champions, then it creates a natural bridge to do intergenerational things all, all throughout the year. It's, it's you're not trying to create some new thing that out of a vacuum, you've already got this platform that allows you to maybe take, go on a hike with your prayer champions, a group of, or maybe use that as the catalyst for doing a, a game night, but you're there with your prayer champions. You're not trying, to, but in the process, you're building relationships with other adults of different generations as well um, that are that are connected with the other kids that are in that that have their prayer champions at that event. So there's a, there's a way it kind of it kind of makes it so you're not having to is not too steep of a climb to try to create these these relationships because we've had those forever and, and we wanted to try to eliminate those because we've always wanted more adults connected with more young people. And so this is a way of creating that, even even for those churches that are never going to um, merge their take their youth worship service and do away with that and bring them into the the overall church. Those need to create some natural connections so that even outside of those those times, because the fact is that in in my church that doesn't have a youth worship service, but has just our main service, if there's not a, a way of us connecting with the those young people that are around us, then we're having to do the hard work of having to try to create these relationships. And we can do that because we've been involved in youth ministry for 30 plus years. But the average adult can't do that. And they need a way of creating a runway for them with those young people so that it feels natural and winsome and beautiful, which it really can be. Yeah. That's a good word. And youth workers, you you can be the bridge here. You can be the dot connectors. You can be the Absolutely. catalyst to make this happen in your church. Uh, talk to senior leadership. Uh, work to convince them. I think one way to do this is to go and look at some of the research and the data. You know, Tony mentioned some of this at the top when we were talking when we first opened up the podcast. Uh, Mark Matlock and David Kinneman's book, Faith for Exiles, that's quite compelling and convincing. You know, maybe take a look at that. Um, I think of Gary Parrott and Steve Kang's book, uh, Teaching the Faith, Forming the Faithful. You know, you read those things and you start to understand both uh, theologically and functionally how important this is and how necessary it is for uh, spiritual growth and development. And certainly we need to be pushing back on on what's happening. Tony, as we close out, uh, just give us again how we can learn more about the Pray For Me campaign and the other work that you're doing. Send us to where we need to go. Yeah, there's, there's the, the easiest way to get in touch with the Pray For Me Pray For Me campaign is to go to prayformecampaign.com, and the, you can find out everything you need to know there. There's uh, all kinds of resources to help you to, to be on this journey of building intergenerational relationships. Um, the other place that you would want to go is the youthleadercollective.com, youthleadercollective.com. Um, that connects you with what we're trying to do with youth leaders around the country, primarily in the Southeast, but, um, but we have some, in, some uh, pieces that we do around the country, which are, we're really encouraged by. But um, love for you to connect if, if, if it's appropriate and beneficial. 
Yeah, and would you highlight just for a second on the with the Pray for Me campaign the the you know more recent work that you've done uh, to prepare some resources for grandparents? Yeah, the, that's probably been the, one of the most exciting pieces uh, for us because um, the research that we've come across says that you know parents are, are the major influence in the life of a young person. Grandparents are the second most influential uh, group of people in the life of a young person, and um, one of the things that we're trying to do is we've we've created a, a, a prayer guide that helps adult grandparents pray well for their grandchildren, because um, uh, we believe that they they can make prayer one of their primary forces of goodness of leaving a legacy for their grandchildren. Um, uh, one of the things that came that came to me more recently is this: is that all prayer is future focused. Um, so we, we're not praying backwards, we're praying forward. And so the real question is, is how far are we willing to pray into the future? And the fact is that we can, our prayers don't reside with us. They reside with God. Cause when we pray, God's using those and he's executing them according to his will and for his good purposes, for his glory and his kingdom and the good of what I would say, our generational line for generations to come, we can, we can affect generations to come because of God's goodness and the way as we 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 offer up prayers for generations that come that reside with God for him to make a difference in the lives of our grandchildren great-grandchildren and beyond and I mean this morning this morning I'm praying for uh, any grandchildren that, go, that God may give me which I don't have any yet, Walt. Um, but but I do have a lot of nieces and nephews, and some great nieces and great nephews, and and I just have a list of in my journal of of scriptures that I'm praying into the lane that God's given me. And my lane is this, and this is really I think this is really important for for legacy and what what God's doing for the future when I'm gone, is that I'm praying for any any grandkids or any line that comes from my children and great grandchildren and so forth. But I'm also praying for my nieces and nephews, great nieces, great, great nieces and nephews and, and on down. But, um, but, in, but also the church, the church that God has planted me in is part of my lane that he's called me to pray for. And I'm praying things like this. Um, I was just hovering in, in, um, in second Thessalonians the other day and just came up with a, just a number of prayers that come out of that, um, that the Lord would direct their hearts into uh, his love, the love of God into the steadfastness of Christ, uh, that the Lord, the Lord of peace himself would give them peace at all times and in every way that the, the Lord would be with them and that they would know the sweetness of his presence. And he goes on and on. Mm. But, but I'm praying that not just for my kids right now and not just for the immediacy of right now, because we always pray for immediacy, the, the stuff that's right in front of us. And, but I'm, I'm wanting and to encourage not just grant myself and the grandparents, but anybody to think legacy and that I can influence generations to come because God's given us this gift of prayer to, to reach out and make a difference in, in places that we're never going to be there. Like for instance, okay, some people that's hard to get that their minds around that, but let's say you're praying for somebody in Russia right now, some a Christian in Russia. You're not there. We can't be there. But God's doing something there, apart from us. Except for we're asking. He's he's 
he's combining what he his purposes with our prayers to do something amazing in Russia or anywhere we're praying. And he can do the same thing for generations to come. So that to mm. me, that's that's very important for grandparents specifically because they're they realize there's far more in the rearview mirror than there is before them, but they they can make a difference that far outlasts them. Yeah. And any any material thing they leave to their grandchildren. Yeah, that's so good. I'm gonna close out with this. It's interesting as you started to talk, I grabbed my Bible and went to Psalm seventy one, right? Uh, mm. verses 17 and 18. I'll read this. Uh, oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And I think that what we've talked about here today, that's, uh, that's an important avenue God uses towards that. So Tony, thank you. Uh, again, folks, if you would, just go and check out the uh, show notes on the player for this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters. Uh, you can do so by going to cpyu.org. When you find the player for this uh, particular episode, just scroll down underneath, and Chris will have put everything there so you can connect and just click right through. So, Tony, thanks so much. Pleasure to be with you, Walt. Yeah, thanks so much, and God bless you. And for everyone else, we'll chat with you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.